Hey everyone, it's Lena and Megan from Enlightenedhood. Welcome to Soul Lift, where we're vulnerably sharing motherhood stories that don't fit the rhetoric we've been taught to believe. We're getting real and honoring all truths, sharing journeys from women who are using self-empowerment, mindfulness, and spirituality as a means to create their own path. Through this global anthology of mindful and spiritual motherhood stories, we hope that by giving these brave women this platform, we can heal together and all feel a little less alone. There is so much power in our story, and the more we can share and help those who come after us, what a beautiful world this can be one where we all know our own strength and beauty. So we hope you find inspiration here today and find empowerment and validation in your own truth because everyone can use a soul lift. My name is Nicole Kosh, and this is my story. What was that event? What happened in your life that started you on this path of being more mindful and spiritual? It's so hard to pinpoint one, which I bet is like a common response. Um, I would say in my recent like adult life, it would be the birth of my first son. Um, And we can dive deeper into that. But honestly, I felt like even from being inside of my pregnant mother's belly, I was being primed for a life like this. Like there was no way it wasn't going to end up this way, whether I wanted it to or not. But I would say um, his birth was definitely the catalyst for what is happening now and like a, a bigger shift than anything else I had ever had. So what did that transition look like? You mentioned it kind of started from at your birth. Was your mother mindful and spiritual? Did you grow up that way? Sort of. So um, my mother was a bra burning hippie in the 60s. And actually what I was thinking about recently, I'm very close to my mother because growing up, my father was present, but an alcoholic. So It was really just me and my mom kind of navigating those dark waters. And she actually came from a family of abuse and addiction, but she like, for whatever reason, because her sisters are not this way, she had what she needed to break out of that cycle. She totally broke the cycle of abuse and addiction for her family, like with me. Um, And so I think that had a lot to do with it as well and her influence on me but of in addition to all of her like hippie um notions and things ideas and things like that that she obviously implanted in me as time went on um so yeah growing up I remember you know we spent a lot of time outside we went camping a lot so I from an early age I really had a strong and reverence for nature and the earth and mother earth. My mom, she didn't, she didn't use the language that we use now. Like we didn't meditate, but she would lay my head in her lap and stroke my hair and, and prompt my breathing if I was having a headache or a bad day. Um, and she just, the way she was, was just kind of the way people who describe themselves as mindful now are, but she didn't have those labels for it or language Mm -hmm. for it. Um, 
And uh, it was really our saving grace, I think, with dealing with kind of a difficult childhood with my father. Um, but she was always the positive light. She was always the light. And um, I think that, that it did start with my pregnancy and with my, her pregnancy with me and my birth. And so, yeah, um, you know, she struggled, obviously, but she was the one that really planted the seed. Wow. So walk me through the transition that happened when you became a mother. How did that approach to mindfulness and spirituality change on the other side? So um, my mom had always talked about my birth as something really magical and special. She had a mostly unmedicated hospital birth with me. My aunt gave birth to my cousins at home. So she was present for her niece and nephew's home birth. So she was able to see what like undisturbed physiologic birth with midwifery care looked like. She had to, or she chose, because everything's a choice, she chose to have a hospital birth because she has a medical condition that she felt it would be safer. And she had a really supportive doctor. So at the time, you know, she felt really good about that choice. Um, but she believed in her body. And so she always told me stuff like that, especially being a, a young girl and then somebody who would become a woman later. Um, she always talked about how pregnancy was wonderful and giving birth to me was the best thing she ever did. And, you know, those messages imprinted, but then becoming a teenager and a young woman, you're influenced by the rest of the world. So somewhere along the line, um, I, my ideas about all of this got muddied by the things that muddy all of our ideas about pregnancy and childbirth. So at some point as a young woman, uh, maybe in my twenties, I remember thinking like pregnancy looks gross. It looks painful. It looks uncomfortable. It, you don't get any control of your body and you look fat and you're never going to be the same and in like the most negative way. And birth looks like this unavoidable, disgusting, painful event, blah, 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 all of that. I remember like thinking all of these things. And so when I became pregnant, um, I didn't have any idea of what I wanted in my head for the birth. Um, but I'm somebody who loves learning. So I was like, well, we're, we had Kaiser insurance. So I was like, it felt like we only had that as the choice. So I thought we might as well start with taking all of their classes, you know, um, newborn care. Uh, what were some of the other ones? I don't know, CPR, breastfeeding, and then their prepared childbirth class air quotes, because um, <laughs> they don't know how much it prepares anybody. For <laughs> um, so I, I remember being in like the second or third out of the four weeks for the, the prepared childbirth class at Kaiser and suddenly feeling like the information I was getting was only making my fear worse. And somewhere deep inside of my brain or my soul or subconscious or somewhere in me was like, there's a better way you can do this however you want, whether, and this is like not even talking about medication or not, or what it was just, you can find a better way through this. You do not have to just show up and hand over your power and leave it at that. Um, and it prompted me to start digging a little deeper. Granted, I was already about 30, 
two weeks pregnant, I wow. think at this point, because they tell you to take the classes at the end of your pregnancy. Um, and I started Googling like pregnant women do. And somewhere, I don't remember where I came up with hiring a birth doula. Um, and I just felt like no matter what I was going to do next, having a birth doula to support and guide me and my husband was going to be really helpful. So I was like, okay, right. Step one, get a birth doula. And then I also started coming across, I think I Googled like breathing techniques for birth. And, um, because the breathing techniques in the hospital class were the really old school Lamaze, like, <laughs> like, and doing the practice in the class made me feel like I was going to hyperventilate just practicing. So having the experience with my mother who taught me deep breathing and also had somebody who had already had like a tiny yoga practice, you know, wasn't doing a lot of it, but, um, definitely was familiar with it. I felt like the long, slow breathing was something that was going to help keep me more calm. And then in searching, I found hypnobirthing. I'd never heard about hypnobirthing, um, but I got myself to a bookstore back when, you know, people went to bookstores (laughs) and found the book. And I just sat down with the book in Barnes and Noble and started paging through it. And suddenly it was like the light went off. The words in this book spoke to me so immediately and so deeply that suddenly I was filled with the idea that not only could I navigate this journey unscathed, because that was my concern is is the trauma. I was so convinced there was going to be trauma that was unavoidable. So not only could I avoid that, that I could really allow this experience to be empowering and magnificent and joyful. And I was beginning to, um, really look forward to it, even just from looking at this book quickly. And the breathing techniques were exactly what I was looking for in a very, very intuitive way. It wasn't a bunch of complicated steps. It was just breathe in for four and exhale for eight. I was like, I can do that. Inhale for eight and exhale for eight. I can do that. Like, I totally understand the, I don't understand that. Like, I don't understand when I'm supposed to do that, how you're supposed to do that for how long, like that didn't make sense to me, but the long, slow breathing, the belly breathing, that all made sense to me. So, um, being late in my third trimester, I found a doula who was also a hypnobirthing teacher. And that really helped because I didn't have time for a full hypnobirthing class. It's it's typically a, a five week course. Um, but she worked through some of the techniques, other techniques with us. And I went on to have um, a really positive, empowering, unmedicated, which was kind of my plan, but I wasn't married to it, uh, birth with my first son in the hospital. Um, It was, do you want to hear the birth story now? Sure, sure. (laughs) I'll shorten it, but my water released on a Sunday night. Um, I had spent the morning walking an antique market with one of my best friends. So that probably helped move things along. I was about 38 weeks and five days pregnant, I remember. And um, my water released as we snuggled into bed that night. And I knew that it wasn't any emergency. We called our doula and things were fine, but I wasn't having any surges or contractions yet. So I went to sleep. I knew that the journey ahead would be long or might be long. So I went to sleep. My husband wasn't able to go to sleep. He was too anxious. 
And a few hours later, maybe four hours later, um, the surges began and I just worked through them at home. The hospital told us to come in, but my intuition guided me to stay home because I knew once I was in that space, it would be more difficult. Um, so I stayed home until they were getting more regular, more intense and, and closer together. We met my doula there. And honestly, I don't remember the next like six hours. Um, we got there at six in the morning and my son was born at about 8.30 that night. Um, but everything in between was just bits and pieces because I was so deep into my trance or hypnosis or whatever you want to name it. Um, I did have a lot of discomfort in my back because of the way the baby was positioned, which in hindsight, my OB knew about this and didn't tell me to do anything about it, which is annoying because there's plenty you can do about it. Um, so I just remember my doula massaging my back and my husband just right like in my face, just being like my protector and feeling really safe with him close to me. Uh, my mom was there and she definitely provided that like gentle, soothing presence. She didn't insert herself unnecessarily and, and the way she touched me was different and that was calming. Um, but yeah, I don't have, <laughs> it's funny, like I just don't recall a lot of it. Um, and yeah, and I pushed him out and it was just amazing. Um, as soon as he came out, I couldn't believe that I had done it. And in a way I could believe that I had done it. Like I never doubted myself. So, um, yeah, after that, uh, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I couldn't stop researching, you know, usually after you have a baby, you're done researching about childbirth or pregnancy or anything like that. But I couldn't, I had this growing curiosity, like a little ember and, um, it just launched me into a whole new life. <laughs> wow. So for anyone who doesn't know, can you explain what hypnobirthing is? Yes. Um, so hypnobirthing, the word is really hypnosis for birth and people get really tripped up on the word hypnosis, but hypnosis is really just a state of mind that we enter in and out of about 10 to 15 times a day. It's the path to sleep and the path to wake, wakefulness. It's that in between consciousness that we all participate in regularly, whether we choose to or not. So because we're already experiencing this type of brainwave activity, um, you can actually use it to your advantage to create changes in your subconscious. Um, and our subconscious is a huge part of who we are and how we interact with the world and our environment and other people. Um, but if your subconscious, for example, is full of fear and trepidation or trauma about something you're going to participate in, such as childbirth, which is a huge event, um, it can actually make the physical process of giving birth more difficult and more painful um, and more traumatic. So it's kind of like this self-fulfilling prophecy. But with 
hypnosis um, and specific hypnosis techniques for childbirth, you can actually undo that damage. You can release those feelings of fear. Um, you can create positive intentions and really shape the experience however you want it. And people use hypnosis for all sorts of things besides childbirth, right? Like people use hypnosis to lose weight, stop smoking. So it's not even like a, it's not that weird of a thing to use it for birth. Birth's a big deal. Like we should be paying attention to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so specifically with the hypnobirthing course, it's a, it's, so I'm now a hypnobirthing teacher. I've been teaching since 2000 and, oh geez, 14. <laughs> it's so hard to remember when my children were born. Um, <laughs> feels like a lifetime ago. Um, so it is a five week course and you meet once a week for a couple of hours and we go over a bunch of different kind of avenues to hypnosis. So some people find that even just the breathing, the deep breathing techniques really bring them into a hypnotic state. Um, I've personally found that that's what worked the best for me for that first birth because I didn't have a whole lot of other practice with the other techniques. Then we also have just some basic relaxation techniques just to get you from an alert state to a more relaxed state. Um, we have visualization, which, you know, there's all sorts of evidence to show that regular visualization creates better outcomes and allows people to reach their goals better. Um, <clears throat> positive affirmations. So language, using the law of attraction, things like that really, really help. And then hypnosis. So we have actual guided hypnosis audio tracks and extra scripts for parents to listen to, to help recondition their mind um, to create the outcome that they seek. And the class also includes some, some basic um, childbirth education, you know, like what to expect during each labor phase, when to leave for the hospital, um, baby's positioning, labor positions, comfort measures, you know, some of that basic stuff too. So that's what hypnobirthing is in a nutshell. The only other thing I'll say about it is a lot of people are drawn to the method because they want an undisturbed, unmedicated birth, but it really works for every single situation, whether we plan it or not. So I've had students who, um, had planned an unmedicated vaginal birth, maybe even at home, who needed to transfer to the hospital during labor and end up getting a cesarean for the safety of their baby. And they still felt that it was a healing, joyful experience because they were able to stay present with the technique. So I always like to mention that because people get funny ideas about what hypnobirthing is for, who it's for. And I tell every it's for everybody. <laughs> Anybody can benefit from it. So tell me what it was like, the more you researched, the more you saw the power in hypnobirthing, what was it like realizing that this might be your new purpose to help others? It was weird. It was like, it felt like right before you're going to go on a first date where you're really excited about the unknown possibility ahead of you but a little bit freaked out too, because I wasn't sure. So at the time, um, so to back up a little bit, I went to college and got degrees in sociology and child development, just because those were subjects I was interested in. I had no intention of necessarily turning it into a career. 
And then after college, I went and worked in the apparel industry for 10 years. So not anything related to even mindfulness or spirituality or children or motherhood, like nothing at all. Um, But when I gave birth to my first child and afterwards was kind of thinking I needed to do something with this because I, I kept learning more and realizing how much I still didn't know. And at the same time, I was telling my story to anybody who would listen. And the response I got from people was amazing. Um, my friends were not surprised that I could accomplish something like that, but the way I spoke about it was pretty nonchalant. Like, yeah, it was, it was so awesome. Like it was really great. You know, the narrative is usually that having a natural birth is endlessly painful and you just get through it. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't shake the power of that reach. Um, I knew that I had something here and I needed to do something with it. And so I started exploring different avenues. I thought about becoming a birth doula, but it was just too difficult with working a full-time job and having a a one-year-old or at that time he was still only six months old. Um, and then I looked into actually becoming a hypnobirthing educator and what that looked like. But I definitely remember having that, that feeling, that butterfly feeling of I'm going to do something important, not make swimsuits or actually at the time I was making, um, leisure wear. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it was exciting, but scary because I didn't know where it would take me. I didn't know what I would do with it. I didn't know if I would be good at it. I, I'm kind of an introvert. I had never really taught anybody anything. I was nervous speaking in front of people. Um, so yeah, it was a little bit of all of that. Luckily, my husband really supported me. Um, my doula supported me and helped me navigate it and it worked out well. (laughs) What were some of those self-limiting beliefs that you had to let go of in order to show up in the way you wanted to be confident and truly own this new position? I released a lot of expectations in general. I realized that having expectations of what was going to happen was only going to prevent me from doing anything. And then I wasn't going to be able to see the outcome either way. So I don't feel like I had to really work on myself to release a lot of limiting beliefs. I think that I kind of put some of those limiting beliefs on the shelf. You know, the belief that I wouldn't be good at talking, teaching groups of people. I kind of just ignored it for a little while until I got to a place where I was more educated or had more experience. Like with every person that I taught, and I started with my best friend who was giving birth to twins. And so they were an easy, you know, introduction into teaching. I already knew these people for many, many years. She was my best friend. I knew her husband um, and it was a private session. So that gave me, you know, I knew I could get through the material. I maybe fumbled, but I, I figured out how to do it better. And then the next time it was a paid, another paid private session. And again, I was able to slowly gain that confidence. And the more I was able to gain more experience and keep moving forward, the quieter all of those limiting beliefs became. Um, and they still come up for me now about different things, but I do the same thing usually. It's just we're not going to give that that belief any power and or any, any energy 
it's going to be there. And I also recognize that some of those beliefs are protective. Um, I don't believe that fear in general is bad. I think it's just something that we do to bring our attention to something important. Mm -hmm. And so it's good to have awareness of, okay, I'm afraid of this. Why? Or I feel like I can't do it like this. Why? Um, And where does that come from? And why is this being brought to my attention? And so just kind of acknowledging it, but also not feeding it. What advice would you give to any woman who feels like she has obstacles in her way from showing up as her best self and stepping into her purpose? I feel like it's really individual um, for a lot of people. I think one of the first things I would say is to stop listening to the outside world and tune more into yourself. There's a lot of distraction. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of shoulding from the world, um, especially for women and especially for mothers. My goodness. Mm-hmm. Ugh, it's just messy. Um, and the more, <clears throat> the more we can, you can quiet that noise and just come back to yourself and listen to yourself and, and be really careful and choosy about who you seek guidance from as well. And, you know, um, sometimes that's our partners. Sometimes that's a best friend. Sometimes that's a, a, a group of people, maybe on Facebook that you trust, but it's not always who you would expect it to be either. Um, sometimes our partners aren't the people that we can, we can share certain parts of that growth with until you have grown a little bit more, right? Until you can be a little more protected. Um, But yeah, it always comes back to to yourself and finding yourself and and finding ways back to that and quieting the noise, I guess that would be. Did you find (laughs) resistance from people in your life when you stepped into your purpose and on your journey? I think practically speaking. So after the birth of my, my first son, Um, I became a a hypnobirthing educator and then I also kind of started dabbling in birth doula work, but being on call is really hard for my family. Like I can't even do it right now. It's so hard for my family. (laughs) But after my second son was born in 2015, I had made the choice to release my corporate job and really had full time into birth work and motherhood. So that practically speaking, was very difficult on my husband. Understandably so. Um, we, had a, we had a toddler and a baby, and I was leaving in the middle of the night. Our baby didn't sleep very well. I was breastfeeding full time. So he was suddenly not getting any sleep and having to go to work. And I wasn't getting any sleep being at birth and coming home. And so there was some resistance, um, I think in general with what I was doing, or maybe not resistance, but just questioning like, oh, is this really worth it? Because from his perspective, there's no way it was worth it. And I totally understand that. But for me, there was no choice. Like I, I couldn't not do it. I had to follow it. I had to see where it went. Um, as far as resistance from other people, not really. I think that once I started becoming more open about my beliefs and sharing information um, 
people were really receptive and open to learning more. There was the odd comment here or there once I once I was really becoming more vulnerable and open. Um, I was I had a blog with one of my best friends at the time, and I remember sharing my birth story on the blog. And at the end of the blog, I had said something like, "Really encourage women to look into." Um, you know, their options when it comes to birth and considering not getting pain medication, you know, just as a default, right? Like that's just what a lot of people do is as the default, they're going to get all the drugs. And my comment was just maybe consider not having that be your default and look into other things. And somebody said, you know, obviously very triggered and had said something negative that that was bad advice. It was dangerous advice. And that really at that point in my journey was kind of hard to hear, but, um, it's funny because now I look back at that comment and it doesn't phase me at all because I see her for what she's really saying that it has everything to do with her experience. What happened with her has nothing to do with me. Mm -hmm. So, um, there's the, the odd comment with things like that. Um, but overall, no, I, I mean, luckily I feel like there hasn't been too much resistance. I do feel like sometimes, I guess, with people who already knew me and then they become pregnant, sometimes they drop off the face of the earth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I don't get resistance per se, but I, I sometimes expect people when they become pregnant to come to me for guidance or don't expect but hope. And some people do the opposite. They kind of don't want to talk to me as much. And I think that's for fear of judgment or pressuring them to do things the way I did them or things like that. Um, so I don't even know if I'd call it resistance, but it is a, a strange feeling and a mm -hmm. strange reaction. Um, but I, I usually just acknowledge what that really is for them and allow them, you know, the space to have their own experience. I mean, end of the day, I don't really care. <laughs> I'm not here to regulate everybody's choices. I don't, I don't really care what other people do with their lives. You know, so. I've been exploring this recently. It's just so interesting how triggered people get with just mm -hmm. when you start to question and offer different ways to do things, they just get so very triggered. Yeah. Um, and it's, I think it is just that fear of judgment, which is completely normal for human nature. I don't know. <laughs> How can we make more empowered decisions as women as we continue to grow our families and take care of our babies? Don't do it alone. Um, we need more information from reputable places. So not not these scary things that are on Google that I just read like the most confusing pro publica story today about um, pregnancy and coronavirus. And it was a lot of like good information and they sourced a lot of like birth workers, midwives and doulas and things. And then there was this paragraph from the reporter that was talking about how just you know, if you do have a home birth, just be prepared for it to be this terribly long and horribly painful experience. And it was like, how is that helping anybody at all? And then I remember it's journalism. And the whole point of journalism is to make people afraid. But um, 
but being really careful about where you get information, but still getting information. You can't just hide yourself in a hole. And then seeking out physical support um, or physical, um, I meant more like tangible support. So um, getting a community. Um, so in my world, that looks like going to, if a woman is pregnant, going to prenatal yoga classes, starting meeting, starting to meet other women, going to childbirth education classes that are outside of the hospital because you're more likely to um, meet like, like-minded people there uh, who are going to talk to each other. I didn't talk to anybody in my hospital birth class and I couldn't talk to the instructor after hours either. It was terrible. Um, I talked to my students for years, <laughs> like it's, it's crazy. Um, and then after, you know, having babies, there's all sorts of like support groups, in-person support groups, getting professional support. So I have people in my life who I'd consider mentors. Um, one in particular, a, a good friend of mine, who's also a birth worker. She's, she just, I, I know she can help lift me up anytime with any situation. She just is one of those people, one of those really light people. Um, and finding those people in your life, because we're not meant to do this alone. Uh, it really, really is important to get that support and have support mirrored back to you. I think so often that we go around the world and what's mirrored back to us is negativity and, and fear and things like that. But having that um, positive support and not being afraid to ask for it and asking for, I don't even like to say asking for help because that makes you sound helpless. Um, but asking for support because everybody needs support. There's nothing wrong with getting support in any, uh, in any facet of life. Um, so looking into what that kind of support looks like and not being afraid to invest in yourself for that support. There was, I'm in a postpartum support group and one of the admins posted, she had a question, like if you could spend, I think it was $10,000 on postpartum support, what would you spend it on? And I, I spent that money like so quickly with my list and I still had more things that I wanted, right? Like you can never have too much support. Um, and so often we feel not worthy of even investing in that support. Um, whether that's, whether you're on a, a journey to motherhood or not, even just as an individual investing mm -hmm. in our own well-being and, and growth. So let's focus a little bit on your individual practices for mindfulness and spirituality. So how has becoming a hypnobirthing educator, how has that transformed the way you approach mindfulness and spirituality? I feel like it was, so I do feel like I had a foundation for mindfulness and spirituality, but it was like somebody just kind of cracked the door for me and I could get a little bit of a, a sense of it, but with with hypnobirthing and then experiencing both of my, my births, it was like somebody kicked the door open <laughs> and suddenly I had so many tools. And not only did I have so many tools, I had so many ways to find more tools to use. So, um, what I do love about hypnobirthing is it's, it's literally life skills. I mean, the things we talk about in class, we're using it with the lens of pregnancy and childbirth, but 
you use these tools for the rest of your life. And I am a walking example of this because there is not a day that goes by that I am not using my calm breathing techniques with my children, you know, when they're really testing my patience or something just is frustrating me. I always in the moment just take a minute to take deep breaths and recenter myself. Um, I also use the hypnosis techniques regularly. Like if I feel my anxiety heightened on a certain day, I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of intuitively set aside a couple minutes. Usually it's just when I can get it in. My boys are four and six now. So, um, you know, they don't nap anymore, but they will play by themselves a little more. So that always looks a little different, but I can take just five minutes and I ask them just, I need just five minutes and I lay down and I just do five minutes of a hypnosis technique and I wake up or come out of it, uh, feeling so much better. I use it for sleep all the time. Um, cause often my mind will race as I get into bed or sometimes it, it looks like when I wake up in the morning, I'll, I'll have an opportunity to do some sort of practice. And most of the time it is uh, one of my hypnobirthing techniques just because it's the thing that I know the best. But all of this introduction has also opened me up to other things. Um, so like for instance, I went to a therapist recently and she showed me how to do EFT tapping. Um, and I really loved and connected to that. Uh, I also have released any resistance surrounding um like things in my home so I have an altar now whereas I was maybe a little embarrassed to have that in my home before um and I don't necessarily have a date like I don't every day at two o'clock I don't like sit down and journal and do all the things I wish I could but it's just not part of my life right now but it's there and it has a physical and energetic presence for me that helps ground me with everything that I'm doing. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, my practice looks different every day, depending on what's needed and what's possible. I think the best thing about mindfulness and spirituality is that it is me. I don't need to do it. It, it's just living. I'm living and I'm doing it. It's my practice. Living is my practice. <laughs> I love that so much. So what is spirit? I mean, you kind of already said it, but what does spirituality mean to you? Connection. Um, I've never been a particularly religious person. I don't feel connected to organized religion, but I cannot ignore my connection to everything. I, I feel deeply connected to other people. I think that's why sociology interested me so much because um, I see very clearly the connection between all of us and um, the way we interact with each other is very fascinating to me because of that connection. I also feel very deeply connected to the natural world and every single part of it. Um, and I, I can't, ignore it. I don't feel like I need to do anything with it necessarily, but I also can't ignore it. It's just there. It's just part of me. Um, so I honor it when it feels like I need to. Um, sometimes, you know, there's just these moments where I'm doing something and it's like, 
and you would probably know what I mean by this, but you're doing something and usually it's when I'm outside and it's like somebody had turned up the brightness and saturation on the world, right? Like if it was a computer screen, um, suddenly it's quieter and more still and brighter. And it's like a surge of that connection going through me and to everything around me. And I can just sit and appreciate that. You know, I don't feel like there's more that I need to do. That's, that's the surge of that energy that I need to tap into in that moment. And so just allowing for more of those moments. If I sit inside the house all day, I'm going to have less of those moments. But if I get outside more, if I put my phone down more, um, I'm going to have more of those moments. Sometimes those moments happen with my children. I'll just look, especially my little one, who's, he is so <laughs> old. <laughs> it's such a deeply connected soul that it is, it is shocking to me sometimes. Um, and I look at him into his face and it's incredible what I see. And so it's just those little, those little moments and um, being present for those moments and, and making sure to be intentional with those moments, savoring those moments, just taking like little snapshots and they carry, they help me. They, they carry me through the harder times and I call upon them when it's hard. And I think back on those and, and it helps balance me. I love so much the way that you phrase what that's like. Cause I think it's so true. And I absolutely know what you mean. I'll have those moments where it's almost like this glimpse of this like altered state of consciousness for a second where you look at something and you're like, Whoa, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is like, this is it. Me being absolutely the most present in the moment that I can Mm -hmm. be and in it all it's glory. And this is my new reality of all the work I've done and all the appreciation and gratitude. So I absolutely know what you mean. And I love those moments. And it's such a, and I feel like it is such a universal experience with people who pay attention to it, um, which even drives it home even deeper for me that it's all connected and important and so magical. I love it. Yeah, me too. So what advice would you give for any mother who thinks that she doesn't have time for a mindfulness practice or that it isn't for her? Well... Everybody has time for what they choose to make time for. <laughs> um, I think with most of these types of things, it comes down to not knowing what it really is. So people probably hear mindfulness and think it, I think, I don't know about mindfulness necessarily, but meditation for sure. People have a, um, a negative reaction because they've tried what they think is meditation and it didn't work for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they write it off. And so I bet mindfulness could be kind of the same thing. Maybe they tried something that was called mindfulness and it didn't work for them. So I would say that with any spiritual practice or, or I don't even know what we would call all of these things, like uh, and mind body practices. That's mm-hmm. I guess what I would call That's it. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, with any mind body practice, there's no set rules and there's no one path. And the best way to get the benefits of it, because you can't deny the benefits. Like if you look at any, any article about mindfulness, you know, it lists tons of research, tons of anecdotal experience from high 
performing CEOs and Fortune 500 company owners and all these important, you know, successful people. Everybody knows that it's a good thing, um, but maybe they struggle with how to do it. And I think that's the important lesson is that the way to be successful with it and to have it work for you is to explore something that is just for you. You don't have to do what Tony Robbins does or whatever, mm-hmm. or whoever the you know guru of the day is. Um, find something that works for you and be, have an open curiosity, a non-judgment, a non-judgmental open curiosity about practices that could work for you. There are so many resources for instant mindfulness techniques. And those are some of my favorite. I was actually teaching my husband one the other night, um, because he was having some anxiety and we went through the practice of identifying five things you can see, four things you can hear, three things you can feel, two things you can smell, one thing you can taste. Um, and it's so, it's like, who doesn't have time for that? If you have time to check your phone for Facebook, you have time to do a mindfulness technique. So my advice would be to give it another chance, release any preconceived notions of what it is and know that there is a mindfulness practice or technique that will work for you because there's something that works for everybody. Thank you for listening to Soul Lift presented by Enlightenhood. For a complete library of mindful and spiritual motherhood stories, visit enlightenhood.com backslash soul lift or find us on Instagram at soul lift anthology. Also be sure to follow us Enlightenhood on Instagram at Enlightenhood. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.